Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of TV Black Box, the cat is out of the bag. We have more information on new shows heading our way in 2024 and the TV networks don't want you to know about them. Plus, the real story behind Peter Hitchener's move from weeknights to weekends on Nine News Melbourne. And a warning, Mulk and I will be picking up where we left off in our little dispute from last week because there's been a big update on the prominence debate. Warning, warning, watch out. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast where people in the industry get their news. This is TV Black Box. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is TV Black Box bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello there, welcome to TV Black Box. I'm Rob McKnight and I am the only person tonight who will not be acknowledging anybody else because it's all about me. Abby Mickelson, <laughs> TV producer, is here. Hello, Abby. Would you like to acknowledge? Yeah, I actually would, thank you. Um, I am recording on Darren land tonight and would like to pay my respects to the eldest past and present. Oh, yeah. It's one thing just to not mention it and not say anything, and it's another to, like, flat out be like, I will not acknowledge anyone else. Yeah, that's how it is. Okay. Moki, come on. Moki Moki's here. Who would you like to acknowledge? The Academy, the uh, people who, your mum and dad, uh, may her rest in soul. We had part of that conversation last week, Rob. <laughs> um, That's why I, I said may I'd she like rest to... in peace. I actually said may she rest in soul. I don't know what I was saying there. I'm not even sure you know what English is at this point. No. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the uh, dark and jung people, the land on which I live and do a whole bunch of work uh, and uh, absolutely acknowledge their care for this land for the past thousands and thousands of years. I didn't even know that the cat was in the bag when it comes to anything that TV Black Box talks about, Rob. <laughs> well, we're always taking the cat out of the bag. We swing it around and then we uh, show it to the world. The TV Black Box does not endorse any kind of violence towards animals. Speak for yourself. Um, <laughs> joking. Jesus, that's <laughs> twice. Welcome to the show. We are hitting it big. Non-PC McKnight is tonight. Um, all right. <laughs> Guys, did you know that we are actually recording this episode of TV Black Box on World Television Day? Back in 1996, the United Nations declared November 21 World Television Day. Now, here's what the official blurb says on why. The UN recognised television as having an increased impact on decision-making as well as being an ambassador for the entertainment industry. Television is a symbol of communication and globalisation that educates, informs, entertains and influences our decisions and opinions. I actually think that's right. We are all very passionate about television here. So Mm. on this World Television Day, I thought we would go around the Zoom and find out (laughs) what everyone loves about television. Abby Mickelson, what do you love about television? Um, I think that blurb said it really, really well. For me, though, the biggest thing is just the escapism of it. So Mm. you can just immerse yourself in whatever world you want to, whatever your mood is. You can go wherever wherever your heart desires and I just I love it and I think that's why also I'm a big re-watcher of shows I don't often start a new show because I mm. find my comfort in a show and for me that is most of the time Gilmore Girls and I will just re-watch it all the time because that is the world that I want to be transported to and I just yeah that's what I love about television that you can go anywhere and be anywhere you want. Abby how would you feel if a theme park whichever theme park is attached to the studio that owns Gilmore Girls mm. if they set up like a, a Gilmore Girls world I oh, she would, would be there I would be there I've gone to the Warner Brothers like back lot tour to go to all the houses yeah, yeah, and stuff same. which is 
which is something. I mean, obviously, it's not set up for Gilmore Girls all the time, but it's still no. it's it's familiar. And I lost my <laughs> very shit. right. Yeah. So if there was anything what? Gilmore Girls themed, I'm there. And while while the the Warner Brothers behind the scenes tour isn't like. It's not like kind of renowned like other things to do when you hit LA. It's certainly fun. It's like, every get time I've some... gone to LA, I've done it, and I'll be doing it again next year. It is. It's my like probably there's my some fun top. moments yeah. in it, right? It's so good. Mm. There you go and look at the friend's couch. Go mm-hmm. and you know be on the, the the road that the Jurassic Park dinosaur come and gets you. Come into that town square, which is the center of just about every town mm-hmm. in the history of television and movies. So it's good. amazing how much they get done on such a small piece of land. Mm-hmm. One to do, one to do indeed. Mark, what would you like to say is fantastic about television? Um, I th- television's ability to bring us together, Rob. I think is a. a a thing that, you know, a few mediums are able to do in a, mm. in a way that particularly for big live events where we all tune in to be a part of the thing. And, and look, the, the internet age has helped draw us into that. We think of Twitter in its heyday. You know, that really became a, a massive positive. I need to be on Twitter to engage in the conversation with everybody that's watching this thing with me. Um, and I think that's really good. It's storytelling, the fact that we have seen storytelling grow and develop and birth new storytellers and uh, give creatives a new opportunity because of what television can do and those sorts of things has been phenomenal and we absolutely benefit both from a global standpoint as much as a parochial local standpoint seeing and hearing our stories shared with us and told to us to remind us as much as anything that either we can celebrate or be a part of this or be joyous about this or that we can be better or that, you know, there's, there's all different sides to a story that we may not contemplate. That's, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with both of you. I love television for many reasons. It was partly an educator for me. I learned many Mm -hmm. things that I still use today in my life through television, whether it be the making of TV, and especially Doctor Who. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Not just that, though. That's that's a very good, obvious one. But even things like I distinctly remember learning the word eclectic from the movie Sister Act. She mm. says it and explains it. Great movie. And I not technically television, but I hear you. It was on TV when I saw it, Mulk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How very eclectic. It counts. Um, but. It not only has it been an education tool for me, it's been a companion. It has been something from uh, that I fell in love with and, and am so thankful that I got to work in the industry, that I'm still working in the industry today. I certainly would like to see the industry thrive and survive. And to hark back what to, to what you said, Mark, the idea that so many people can come together for one moment, whether it's Kathy Freeman, whether it's the Matildas, whether it's a major news event, a royal wedding, whatever it might be, mm. and, and even bad events like 9-11, mm. where we're seeing it instantaneously. Nothing beats a picture and the video of being able to see something as it's happening around the world. And that's what television does. And that is why the industry is so important. And especially those news events and those live events it is of cultural significance, but we will get to, to that more a little bit later in the show. Meanwhile... Orchestra swells, go to ad break. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it looks like some new shows are heading our way and we know about them thanks to casting calls placed by Warner Brothers TV. The first show looks set to be an Australian reboot of Super Nanny with the ad saying, we are searching for a nanny, parenting expert or childcare professional who can infuse their experience and wisdom into Australian homes and tackle some of the toughest situations. The next appears to be an Australian adaption of The Golden Bachelor, which has done very well in the States. The Warner Brothers ad says, We are looking for fun, active and outgoing male seniors aged 60 or over who are divorced, widowed and open to meeting the next love of their life in our groundbreaking new series. We want to hear from you or anyone who would like to nominate someone they know to take part in the show. We want to celebrate love at every age and show that when it comes to finding love and romance, age is just a number. Abby, um, great, Golden Bachelor's been a hit. It is a little weird if Channel 10 are going down the path of the Golden Bachelor considering this is asking for over 60s and Channel 10 is the under 50 demo network. 
Yeah, I don't think that will work out very well for them. I mean, The Bachelor itself and The Bachelorette no longer really even appeals to the demo. I think pushing it to an older Bachelor is not going to make any difference. In fact, as someone in that demo, I you couldn't pay me to watch The Golden Bachelor, really. Like, it just sounds like my absolute Well, Tim will be pleased, Abby, because The Bachelors is about to premiere. Yeah. Well, I just, ugh, I don't know. I think people Would are over that franchise that, as a whole. You used to watch The Bachelor um, and The Bachelorette. I did used to. I I would watch it if I was just sitting around with nothing else to do. I would. I wouldn't go, oh, The Bachelor's on at 7.30. I have to sit down on my couch and watch it. Right. If I happen to be there and I'm flicking through the channels, I would stop and watch. But... Overall, I think people are pretty over that franchise as a whole, and I don't think mm. making it someone even older is going to get people back into it, at least young people, if that's what Ten are going for. Malk, it does seem like a bit of desperate stunt casting. They've seen this work in the States, and I genuinely cannot believe the franchise is still on air in 2023 after how it's been going the last few years. Yeah, I, I think... And, and look, don't quote me on this. And, and I think uh, Kevin Perry, uh, our co-editor, editor-in-chief of TV Black Box, um, certainly had some inside information suggesting that the the reason why 10 are continuing to lean into the Bachelor franchise is because it's a condition of their contract with Warner Brothers in them making The Mask Singer. And the the challenge for 10 is that they really can't afford no channel, not, not even Channel 10, sorry, no network can afford to make a program that isn't going to rate. They all need everything to do at least a half decent, if not a winning audience. That is not um, a contract and, I would be signing. I think 10 are stupid to say, yeah, I, I get the Masked Singer, everybody wanted it. They might but not have no had no show is so is big problem. that you would sign a contract to do another show that's fucking failing big time. Yeah, but the problem is if the Masked Singer is doing well for you and for 10 it is doing well, uh, and if they risk not having that format because they won't make the other format. I mean, again, I don't have inside information. I don't know this for sure. No, if that's I believe the case, this. I, I, this I, I agree right it's a challenge. I, I agree it's a challenge. Um, I, I agree with Abby that I don't think the Golden Bachelor is going to be a win for 10, if that's indeed where it's going to land or what it looks like. Um, I think that the Bachelor franchise in its various iterations in an Australian context is largely, largely cooked and we can... Mm be confident that The Golden Bachelor probably isn't going to work by having a look at how up and down this second season of My Mum, Your Dad rated for nine, and it was very up and very down. Mm. Well, we can just be thankful they didn't go with their original plan of The Golden Shower. All right. (laughs) Were you holding on to that for that entire segment? No, no, just near the end when you were talking, it came to me. Anyway... Nine News Melbourne is set for some major changes next year with presenter Peter Hitchener being moved into the weekend shift. The beloved Hitch will be replaced by Alicia Loxley and Tom Steinfurt from 60 Minutes. Executives at Nine made the decision after Seven News convincingly won the ratings year. When Rivers first surfaced in the Herald Sun a few months back, Hitch made it clear he was not ready to retire. I spoke with the man himself over the weekend and he was very upbeat actually, saying there's plenty for him to do next year. Now, Mark, it's always dangerous making big changes like this. You know, Nine really has to make sure there isn't a backlash. If if, if it really looks like, and look, he was moved mm. aside, that is not in doubt. So uh, any backlash against a headline of dumped from weeknights, he, you know, that's harsh terminology, but he, he has been moved to the weekends. Um, yep. He's such a much he's such a much loved personality in Melbourne, an icon. There in could Melbourne be television. a viewer revolt if he's not treated with dignity and respect. Yeah, and I think that ultimately that's going to come down to when he exits the regular news reading spot now, away from twenty four in the weekend slot. Um, there, there was certainly enough backlash that I saw in comments on on posts, you know, announcing mm. the the changes from nine um, around people being a bit butthurt about the move and suggesting that he was dumped. He's be, he's moved willingly to week to weekends. I, I, I can't well, speak to that. Well, sometimes oh, when you're not given a this, choice, right? it, it, it's not public, like he could have yes. said, no, I'm staying in weeknights. This idea of moving willingly, they, they yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like 
You move or you lose your job, right? That's ultimately now, the, the situation you know in this the, the situation. Nine have been able to get him to agree to it. This was Nine's plan. Yep. I don't want to take anything away from Hitch, but no, this was not. not of his design. If he had his choice, he'd still be reading the weeknight news. And that's sure. fair enough, by the way. He's done an amazing job. He's led Nine yep. to a lot of success. Um, obviously, they're thinking about the future, which is also fair on Nine's part. But, um, yeah, willingly, he's accepting well, it. I, I think there's a difference. I, I agree. I think, and publicly, of course, all the PR is lovely and everyone's happy about everything and, and you know, long may the flowers bloom. The the really interesting change in this, apart from Hitch moving to weekends, is that Nine are moving to a duo mm. in Tom Steinfort and Alicia Loxley hosting. Now, I know in, in Queensland and in New South Wales, they go Sunday to Thursday as weekday and Friday, Saturday as weekend. But apparently in Melbourne, they still do it Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So I can't. I'm not local enough to speak to that. The move for Steinfurt out of 60 Minutes and into the desk next to um, Alicia is an interesting one because we haven't seen Tom in that mode, at least in Melbourne, but certainly we haven't seen him in that mode in some time since he's mm. moved away from um, you know, his regular stuff on night. I don't think he did think... a lot of news reading in the 6 p.m. Slot. I think he did fill in on today, didn't he? Or he did yep. some stuff there. Yes, he did. Um, and... I think both of them are great operators and will do a fine job. Please don't misunderstand this. It's just interesting where when Melbourne and Sydney have maintained, for the most part, for their weekday broadcasts, a single host, mm. to have nine changing it up and putting two people on the desk in Melbourne when they're up against a single person on you know on seven Melbourne um, to see how that's going to go. And I wonder out loud with no previous thought if that allows Nine to hedge their bets a little bit, depending on how much they want to back in Steinfurt and Loxley, that if it does go more south, and it will take some time for them to claw back their share, I appreciate that, but if it does go more south, is one of them a sacrificial land? Quite possibly. Um, interestingly, seven on the weekends in Sydney have Michael Usher and Angela Cox. Yes. Uh, in Melbourne, they have Mike Amor and Rebecca Madden. So yes. seven are certainly going back to that double header. It's so funny, isn't it? Because at one point mm. there's been a lot of double headers, not really in Sydney, but Brisbane especially, Melbourne. All the time, to some Brisbane, extent. almost all the time. Then it yeah. went sort of single, and now the double headers are coming back. So exactly But Sydney and up until now Melbourne have largely maintained for their weekday bulletins. The, the uh, week, you know, um, there they've was largely a, there maintained was a disastrous a version of Seven News with Dan Forward and David Johnson, I want to say. Oh, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, uh, that that didn't work out too well, but uh, it looks like... Who's the seven weekday anchor in Melbourne again? I know it's Ferguson Peter and Mitchell. Sydney. Thank you so much. Um, and Seven have been making great strides, which is why Nine had to act. They had to do something in Melbourne hmm. um, for, you know, to, to address the fact that their audience had been moving. Yeah. Coming up, we'll meet the producers behind David Attenborough's Planet Earth 3. Plus, I almost hate to do it, but Mulk and I will be picking up where we left off in our little dispute from last week because there's been a big update on the prominence debate. And we'll find out what everyone's been watching in the TV binge box. (laughs) Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Well, David Attenborough is back with Planet Earth 3, premiering this Sunday night on Channel 9 at 8pm. Matt Brandon is the series producer of the show and Abby Lees is an Aussie who produced the Forest episode and has assisted on a couple of other episodes. Matt and Abby, welcome to TV Black Box. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Yeah, great to be here. It's great to have you guys here. This is such a big show. It's Planet Earth 3 you're continuing a series that has had 
so much worldwide recognition. Matt, you're the series producer. Any pressure? <laughs> a huge amount of pressure, but with pressure that comes with that responsibility it comes great opportunity. It's been an amazing uh, journey, and we and it, it's a brilliant eight part series. Obviously, th- that's in my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> uh, a new look at the natural well, world. You, well, you would say that you spent what one thousand nine hundred and something days filming this, or something. That's right. One thousand. The crew spent one thousand nine hundred and four days I can't uh, believe uh, filming uh, and and many more traveling and and about half that uh, again uh, in quarantine over the COVID period I was reading yesterday so more than two years the crew spent in quarantine I'll never forget that time <laughs> for a hotel <laughs> well Abby it's great you're an Aussie um, doing what Aussies do best going to England taking all the jobs and uh yeah. doing, <laughs> and the accent as well I'm properly integrated. <laughs> um, I want to ask you guys, and Abby, I'll start with you and then get Matt's perspective. So I'm interested in the production process. When you say we're going to this location, okay, do you know exactly what kind of creatures you're going, you're, you know, what animals or what wildlife you're trying to film, or do you say we're going to this location, these are the things on our list, but we're just going to see what we get. I think it used to be that natural history filmmakers would probably go to a location and see what they get. Now we really want to show a certain animal doing a certain thing usually. And, you know, for me, I was working across the forests episode and we want to get a really good sense of what it is to be, living in forests around the world and there are so many different habitats of forests around the world so what we do is we do quite a lot of research beforehand and find different animals doing amazing things in in different habitats uh, across the world and so we're there with a purpose um before we go but you know animals are always so surprising and what would we say animals write the best scripts yeah animals write the best scripts is what what we'd say so you do you do there's a huge amount of research we work very closely with scientists experts conservationists indigenous peoples who live all over the world mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, we work closely with them to find the stories and to isolate what we want to do but when you arrive and you've chosen your A-list characters, your big box. So you know, want it's a bit like casting for a Hollywood movie. You find you d- different animals have different personalities. So you find your mm. A-lister, the person that you that that you want to be front and center, and maybe they do something that that you didn't expect. And and that's the real skill for the producers on the ground is is deciding to maybe find a slightly different uh, story whilst you're out there. Yeah, I, when I was filming in Ecuador, we were filming these these little insects and in the corner of my called? eye, they're called tree hoppers and they're tiny, really tiny. And we wanted to film um, a mother. This is tree my point. You're, you're going to get things the size of a, uh, of a fi- small finger and how do you, I mean, it just blows my mind that you know, yeah, that's what we want but then actually being able to go and find that animal. That's the thing that's getting blowing my mind. Oh, we were terrified that we weren't going to find it. Um, <laughs> right, okay. We were told that they might be there, but we just don't know. And so there was someone that went uh, five days before us to try and search for them, and they only found it the evening that, that we arrived as well. And he was really nervous. He went, oh, I've just managed to find one here. Let's go and, let's oh, wow. go and see. So, yeah, it, it can be, you're on the edge of the, your seat. But that was an incredible story. So these tiny little tree hoppers do something that you can't believe. First of all, they come in like 3,000 different shapes and sizes. I mean, there, there are many of them. And the, the, the species that, if it's called, if the species that Abby was filming, um, or all of them communicate in this extraordinary way. So they, they communicate by... Uh, Vibrating, vibrating that abdomens. abdomen that goes up the, the a tree stem or a branch and and it's audible with using special microphones which abby used when you're out there and they scientists will start to understand what these things mean some of them to say there's that they need food and some of them to say there's predators coming and, and um, to find a mate uh, yeah, and to find just a these mate. amazing sort but of like what, courtship songs that you can't hear 
without this yeah. uh, piece of equipment. But what Abby right. noticed out of the corner of her, of her eye, that not only were they communicating with each other, they appeared to be communicating with a, a bee, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so they have this amazing relationship um, with another species, a bee, which protects them from predators. And in return, the bee can eat some sap, which they exude from their bottoms. But also the mum is a, it has maternal care over her young. And so I, I, I noticed one day that, that this flick in the corner of my eye, this ant just going whooshing past. And I realized she was kicking like a ninja ants away from her baby. <laughs> And that's something that we didn't know about before we went into mm. the field. So she was co- constantly surprising us. And, the, and then just seeing this interaction with the bees happening and the bees like fending off predators as well was just absolutely mind boggling. So that becomes a bigger part of the story. You're seeing things on location. So you've got a fixer. You're saying this is the animal we want. You've got a fixer going and looking for those so that you can just take the crew and keep your resources, you know, tight so you're not there just trying to find something how many crew do you have with you out there and how many days are you shooting that sequence well they i mean that can that i don't know how long that one took probably about three weeks or something yeah around that about three weeks but i I mean it really varies and and you know and are you camping are you going back to a hotel how how are you that also varies we had we had one shoot that went out to a place called ellesmere island in in uh in the way north in the arctic circle and they were three months on the island um camping uh wow. the only you have to fly in and it was an extraordinary feat actually when they got there there's only one place you can stay on the island and because of the covid pandemic that was shut no one was allowed to go inside so they camped outside their tents blew down they had to dig themselves out you know they were traveling they were filming um uh, wolves, Arctic wolves and muskoxen. And uh, they would have to travel huge distances. Their ATVs were getting stuck in the mud. They had to dig them out by hand because they forgot their shovels. And then at the end of it all, when they were going to leave, um, they had to dig that they had to build their own runway because the helicopters that were going to come and pick them up were diverted because there were wildfires fires elsewhere in the country. So they oh, no. <laughs> they went off there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's extraordinary endeavour. Another another crew trekked for two days uh, through the Vietnamese jungle um, with 500 kilos of equipment and then to, to the world's, what is thought to be the world's biggest cave, where they then spent 18 days underground, the longest anyone has spent in that cave, uh, obviously, wow. they were keeping as well. Limited water, no way to wash. It was quite, quite endeavour. But it's certainly not like a, a a film crew. They were actually quite quite small. But mm. there is a massive team be- behind those camera people and, and and directors. So you know, for for tree hoppers, it was me and the cameraman. But then we had amazing team of people in Ecuador mm-hmm. helping us find those insects. And and so yes. yeah. It's it's certainly not like a film set, but no, it's not. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, um, Matt, it's interesting. Whenever Australia is included in these specials, we get excited. Uh, obviously, you you film bits and pieces in Australia. The turtles was harrowing to watch, mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, what those um, turtles go through on the Australian coast. Um, do you try to – I assume you go where the stories are, but are you mindful that territories where this is going certainly like to see their own stories as well? I mean, I think, I think, I think it's a global series. And across, mm. across, you know, Australia is an amazing, amazing country with beautiful wildlife. And, uh, I, I mean – it's it's almost a difficult question, Robert, because it's a no-brainer that you would go to go to Australia. There are so many wonderful stories, and there's so much amazing wild habitat. And yes, the turtles themselves that 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 is harrowing in in some respects, um, and very poignant because Sir David had travelled there himself sixty six years before. So there's a, a, a mm. there's a relevance to that story. Um, but those stories we are trying. To, I mean, there's no, there's no escaping wherever you go in the world, and that is, that is a prism through which we look at the whole series. Wherever you go in the world, 
human impact can be felt by uh, by the animals that we share different habitats with. So those so those slightly you called it harrowing, uh, although it's that it, there's a. I, I just mean, remember a, the cuts on something. the fins, you know, as yeah. as crawling across the rocks. Yeah, well, they're crawling across the rocks, and that that is, but but they also make it back to back to the water and it's it's yes. a wonderful wonderful sequence actually because it's that's that's what you're looking for is drama relatable drama well and- now you've hit on something because how important you, you you know you you've got people going out and and shooting the stories mm-hmm. but then i assume you're part of the editing process and 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 helping with those stories matt and you know, editing plays such a big role. You know, like you're seeing a predator and you've got cutaways to fish moving away, you know, and, and that's helping to build the drama of the story you're trying to tell. And you even get jump scares in yeah. your sequences at times, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not it, it's not just what's shot on the field. It's how it's put together, right? Correct, it is. But we're, we're always we we love to say that nature writes the best scripts. Everything that you see happens, we see happening. It's not uh, uh, um, so. You might obviously editing plays a big role, but it's genuinely something that we we've observed. That's a real key to to the veracity of what of the stories that we tell, and a very important for me. Mugger crocodile crocodiles in freshwater comes uh, yeah. to mind because they're just so amazing they they're so in sri lanka they're these huge crocodiles and they wait for the dry season and the water holes dry up um and there's not any food around um but when prey comes down to the water to drink they've hidden themselves and that's their moment to to finally to grab some food and you're on the edge of your seat because you're waiting for that crocodile Mm. to 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 lash out and well, you well, know the story. Yeah, so so there. actually, that it's a really that's a really good case in point. The um, the what they do. I mean, first of all, it's an incredible sequence because because we we all have a an innate fear, I think, probably of crocodiles, <laughs> and we all think that they're mindless killers. And these things prove completely otherwise. They are they are mindful. They go there. They they build these incredible traps, and they wait on the edge of these kind of shrunken water holes for the. Uh, 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 for the prey to come down um but then they wait and they wait and they wait and that's what our camera person had to do the, the abdullah sat in a hide for 300 hours over the course of two weeks three wow. three weeks over the course of three weeks for the first hundred hours nothing happened and he had to teach himself how to micro nap Whilst he was there, he couldn't really. He had to be very careful, even opening a bottle, because that would spook the prey. But the the result is that the when the muggers actually mug, that's why they presume that's why they're called mugger crocodiles. Let's say that's they why. they erupt from this <laughs> uh, from their camouflage spot to grab their prey. But as I said, it took hundred hundred hours before that happened, and that's reflected in the sequence. Obviously, you don't wait for a hundred hours for something to happen. Mm. But um, but it takes a while before you yeah. actually see it. And there's it. a real tension and quietness, mm. and I think that the editor has done real justice to what yeah. it feels like to be a prey mm. and be a mugger. So, yeah. Well, that's saying, beautiful, and that's what it's about. That is what it's about. So he was saying he couldn't understand why they didn't come out sometimes. The, what, the, the crocodile? Yeah, the crocodile, it's like the prey's there, you know the crocodile's there, and it just waits. It's like, what is it, not hungry, is it? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll never be uh, able to get right into the mind of an animal. <laughs> well, you get very close. You get as close as you can. Look, I've only seen two episodes. What I've seen is brilliant. We know that you guys do amazing work. Obviously, with um, Attenborough is just, you know, the, the piece of resistance. Congratulations on a great series, and thank you for joining us on TV Black Bucks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. And Planet Earth 3 will premiere this Sunday at 8pm on Channel 9 and 9 Now. All right. I have been a little worried about opening this Pandora's box again, but there has been an update on a story we discussed last week regarding prominence. Last week we talked about the Astro Media campaign aimed at scaring consumers about the idea of giving free-to-air TV networks prominence on smart TVs. 
Now what we mean by that, basically every manufacturer selling TVs in Australia would have to make 7 Plus, 9 Now, 10 Play, ABC iView and SBS On Demand the first five apps consumers would see. The Foxtel-led Astra campaign took out full-page ads saying, warning, now the government wants to control your TV. Now Free-to-Air TV has launched its own advertising campaign under the slogan, don't let big tech take away... Mm. Don't let... Don't let big tech take your free away. Terrible slogan. Terrible slogan. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let big tech take your free away. Catchy. Catchy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. Something, something. Away. Tensions are so high, Paramount Plus, run by Channel 10, has withdrawn from Astra. Free TV has sent legal letters to Astra demanding the removal of the ads, claiming they are false and misleading. Foxtel has rejected the claim. Um, Monk, I pretty much stand by everything I said last week. Uh, sure. I think I think those ads from Foxtel are complete bullshit. Uh, whatever your yep. stance on the issue, no one's controlling your TV. Um, but there was a big text thread between you and someone we both know and uh, respect in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was part of that text message, but I came back to it and you guys had had 53 messages between you. And... <laughs> and, and, and could I, am I wrong? Did, was the end up shot that I was right all along? From a certain oh. point of view, Rob. Um, uh, moving on. No, 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 no. <laughs> wow, hang on. I, I, I just, I want to, I want to just clarify a couple of things, if I may, acknowledging all of the the stuff that we've got to in this. I am very pro the free-to-air television industry in Australia as much as I am the subscription television industry in Australia, as much as I am the streaming industry in Australia. Give me content. That's what I want to see. I want to see good content on my screen. Give me plenty of it. I acknowledge that the free-to-air networks – sorry, I acknowledge the free-to-air commercial networks – are not giving us the same level of content or the same amount of content from a drama particularly point of view um, that they used to. And they're not incentivized to do so. So why should they? Um, There is, I understand their argument. I acknowledge it and I accept it. That doesn't mean I agree with it. I understand what they're saying. And I also understand that the free-to-air networks are concerned reasonably that if they are not front of mind, i.e. in that prominent position on your smart TV when you buy it, that they will be, they feel they will be forgotten and therefore underutilized. And so their shares and everything will diminish. So people, they'll just vanish. They'll go into the night because people aren't watching them because they're going to your Netflixes and your stands and your prime videos and your whatevers. I also understand for both sides, kludgy arguments. I do understand Foxtel's perspective, particularly, and this hit me this this week in, uh, in reflecting on it, Foxtel at their upfronts announced, finally, Hubble, their big new, effectively set-top plug-in box and television that they're going to be launching next year. Let's just see this from their perspective. They launch a new TV, a smart TV, on the Australian marketplace, and the federal government has just legislated to say that Foxtel's new smart TV cannot have their apps first. That's what this is about. You've nailed it's it. It's just hit me this week. You have like nailed the, the, it. The connection you between this. You have nailed this. it. And I, I completely understand why they would have their nose out of joint about that. This is sure, their product. Sure, but don't product. give us this bullshit advertising. Like, you know what? I've been the biggest supporter of News Corp it's here on bad. this podcast. I've been the biggest supporter yeah. out of everyone on this thing. <laughs> but they've overreached on this issue. And I do oh, think... Yeah. Uh, genuinely, you can't say the government's taking control of your TV. It's we're uh, not the in critical China. word is control and how you understand it. Uh, both of the ad They're campaigns are not great, and both of them are and move away. Like seriously, again, we hope and understand that will be the legislation. But until it's in but stone, that's all the networks we don't want. Know. They're not asking for them to be stuck there. That you can't. It, it's it's not like Apple sure. downloading um, a YouTube YouTube album onto your iPhone. <laughs> you know. That's a question. <laughs> yeah, not a big deal. Is there any and I and I am supportive of having the free to air apps first, but is there mm. any evidence to suggest that it actually makes a difference the order uh, of the it apps? It hasn't been done, so we don't know. 
Like mm. the, the theory, Abby, is legitimately that if they're not there mm. when you first boot up your TV, because look, frankly, we know that it's a small portion of the market this guy that are nerdy enough to go, I want to reorder the apps because I want to have these mm. ones here and those sorts of things and blah, blah, blah. And every smart TV that comes out currently allows you to reorder your mm. apps and do all that sort of stuff. Wonderful. Most people do not do that. Mm. So what the prominence debate leans into is if the, the five free-to-air com- channel apps, ABC through 10, mm. are the first five in that list – they're all banking on that no one will move them, so they will always be there. So people are more likely to go, oh, what's mm. in this or have a look into that. I think the reality is that for most people that do use them, even if they don't move them, mm. they're going to go, I want to go and watch show on service. That's what I I, I, this- I never turn on my TV. And maybe, maybe not everyone is like this, but I never turn on my TV and I'm just like, I'll click the first thing there. I always... Go in with a purpose. You know at and least go... a service you're going into, if not a program yeah. you're going into. Which is for. fine. Which is fine, Abby. And you can still do that. And No, um, I know. I'm not against it at all. I just I, I wonder if the everyone's gonna forget about us and our industry is gonna die is a bit over dramatic. I, I don't think it is, actually, because I, I think that um, you're dealing with players with a lot of money. And, and, you know, I'm still intrigued about the fact that ABC iView has a spot on your remote control because mm. they are paying for that. They are paying for that. And yeah. I think that is problematic, um, to be honest. Why is it problematic, Rob? I didn't really understand why you thought it was problematic. Well, yeah, I, don't have an I issue with it. don't have a problem with the ABC marketing itself, but it mm-hmm. has, by, by buying the space on the remotes, mm. it's using funding that could be on content. Now, it still needs sure. to get that content to Australians, I'm talking out loud. I don't have a definitive Oh, no, no, I appreciate here. this is a thought in motion. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I find it problematic that they're, going, they're paying a, a, above and beyond to get that prominent place on the remote. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, the other thing is Netflix and Prime Video will still be paying for those positions, so you still have fast access to those streaming services, I'm mm. sure. Sure, but not every remote has got those buttons, right? Some of them do. It's only the ones who pay for all it. of them. What and those that enter into agreements with with uh, organisations that are mm. willing to offer that that space. the The interesting thing is, Rob, that the it's not a, it's not a great sort of comparative same same. the The idea that the ABC have opted to pay to have a button on the remote to give them, dare I say, it prominence. <laughs> is in line with this argument around them wanting to, well, not them directly. It's certainly 7, 9, and 10 pushing the I agree. I agree with you. It is. Who all could come up with the money to put a button on the remote so that instead of maybe being our smart app, you know, organization where in front of everyone, permanently hardwired on your remote is a button that says 7 plus 9 now, 10 Sure. And they may elect to do that, but when it comes to having the apps there, and I go back to the analogy I used last week, it's like buying a new car. The radio stations, uh, there are radio stations pre-programmed into the um, the shortcut buttons on your on your AM FM radio, and you can retune those. And that's what we're talking about here. I just don't think mm. giving uh, a slight leg up and making sure the Australian TV networks who have serviced us for over sixty, mm. almost seventy years. Get a chance to survive. I don't have a problem well, with it. And we are in a real a real breaking ground situation in that not one of our TV networks have moved into hardware until now. So with Foxtel bringing out the Hubble puck and, and the Hubble television, Hubble glass is what they call it, um, this legislation could be quite impacting on their product. Um, and I can understand that and this is my words, not theirs. I'm certainly not a lawyer. I understand the anti-competitive nature of being told that me as a TV network making a product, a television to sell to consumers can't have my product front and center on that because the legislation from my competitors has to put them first. That becomes a really interesting situation. And that's why Foxtel are going hard, right? You've nailed it. It's, it's oh, self-serving. For sure. Which is fine. That's They're entitled to do that. And they can argue against that. Just don't use lies. Well, the, 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 I think it, honestly, Robert, comes down to what we mean by control uh, in that context. And I'm not privy to any of it. It's sounding no, no, like it, a lawyer, Mog. 
And I, I, like, but that's all this is, mate. No, no. But, it's all but legal mumbo-jumbo They made it sound like the government would be choosing what you see. And that's just uh, not No, no, true. they said control. That's what they said. Controlling the government what controlling you see. Same television. Thing. It's a very loaded word. I think it was used as a scare yes, campaign, really. For sure. It was a scare Both sides are coming at you with fear. Well, Particularly I think, now I think, that they're um, free TV. I think maybe I'll need to have a chat with free TV and come up with a better slogan than, <laughs> sorry, oh, what God. was it? I'm um, really sorry, free TV. We're sorry that Rob is taking you Take your free away. It's awful. It's I so think they bad. maybe tried to get freedom, but it didn't work quite the same. It's just so bad. They'll take our lives, but they'll never take our free tv <laughs> So even that's better. All right. Here's one Jesus. for you, because in the lead-up to three new specials to mark the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, the BBC aired a five-minute story as part of their Children in Need telethon event. In the special, the Doctor meets the creator of the Daleks, Davros, but before he became wheelchair-bound. And it turns out there was a lot more to this decision than you might think. Here's executive producer Russell T Davies to explain. We had long conversations about bringing Davros back because he's a fantastic character. Time and society and culture and taste has moved on. And there's a problem with the Davros of old in that uh, he's a wheelchair user who is evil. And I had problems with that. And a lot of us on the production team had the problems with that of associating disability with evil. And trust me, there's a very long tradition of this. I'm not blaming people in the past at all, but the world changes. And when the world changes, Doctor Who has to change as well. We can evolve, we can start anew, we can become stronger. So we made the choice to bring back Davros without the facial scarring and without the wheelchair or his support unit, which functions as a wheelchair. I say, this is how we see Davros now. This is what he looks like. This is 2023. This is our lens. This is our eye. Things used to be in black and white. They're not in black and white anymore. And Davros used to look like that. And he looks like this now. And that we are absolutely standing by. This is the biggest load of horse shit I have heard. Oh, I heard. knew this was coming. Oh, my God. Right? Abby. Mm. Davros is an iconic character in Doctor Who. He's always been wheelchair-bound. Now, when I saw this Children in Need special, I didn't have a problem with the fact they went back to a time before he was wheelchair-bound. No problems with that. I enjoyed, mm -hmm. I genuinely enjoyed the special. But then I saw this video of Russell T Davies saying, basically saying we'll never see Davros in a wheelchair again because it's marginalising people in wheelchairs. And, well, we heard what he just said. Mm. But he's, I, I think this is the biggest crock of shit. Um, do you think... A whole character Ooh. should be changed for 2023 sensibilities on a show that's been running for 60 years. I, I am very torn on this one because I do, I really do understand and empathise with the history of the trope in media where villains are often depicted as having disabilities. There mm. was a very beautiful campaign in the UK a few years ago called I Am Not Your Villain. I would highly, it's on YouTube, you can look it up. Amazing. Yep. Really, really touching and heartwarming. But I also think we have a problem with a lack of representation in media overall. And so I think when you're taking a character in a wheelchair and then taking Which them out of that. Which isn't actually a wheelchair, by the way. It's not a traditional sure, wheelchair sure, that sure. we think of. Sure. But effectively a wheelchair and you're taking them out of that wheelchair, I also then think you are taking away a character with a disability if that makes sense and I think mm. that so I actually don't agree that this is for 2023 sensibilities because I think there are two different issues here where one is yes about the depiction of disabled people and the other one is about representation of disabled people and they're two different issues and they're conflicting in this particular situation um mm. so I do I fully support the idea that there needs to be wider representation of disabled people. and Agree. Yep, as we all do, I'm sure. Which Doctor Who has done, by the way. I, yeah. Um, yep. And it's a recent in other characters. thing, but um, in, during Jodie Whittaker's time, there was mm -hmm. uh, a friend of one of the companions who um, didn't have an arm and mm. it was just, you know, like it wasn't a big deal. She was just yeah. part of the story. And I loved that. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. I, I think... He, he's probably got a point about the depiction of villains probably. as having... Absolutely well, has There's a, a point. coming, Mulk. There's a but, but. I know there is. But there has also been a lot of some, or at least some, maybe not a lot, 
of positive characters. Who was the um, was it Ironside who was in the wheelchair that solved all the crime cases? Yes. The American show. You know, um, I know, but we're talking, but we're talking about percentages, right? So while there might be some, mm. if we're talking, that's like, why I did qualify that. Yeah, so it, there is a bigger proportion of disability representation in a negative way in the media. There just it. is, and so I do understand that as an issue. I just, I think it's a missed opportunity to have. And Rob, I checked with you before we recorded tonight how many whether this was going to be the same actor who had always played him you clarified that he's been played by multiple different people i think this is actually an opportunity for an actor in a wheelchair to play this character and to have that representation i don't think that because there's been a history of this trope that suddenly you can just make a character who was disabled no longer disabled i don't think that helps i just i this i'm so with you on this yeah, Seriously, I, I just think it's a missed agree. opportunity. I, I respect him trying to be sensitive and trying to do the right thing, and I don't agree with your this outrage. This the character. No, I know, but I just I don't agree with the outrage over it. Like, he, he's trying to do a nice thing, and I don't think that we should be approaching people trying to be sensitive with anger. Um, uh, but I, I just think... I think there's so many ways of having a positive agenda. You're taking... The, now, this is an iconic character. Mm-hmm. The Daleks are the biggest monster on Doctor Who. This is the creator. There's a whole story of why he's, you know, he, he basically he did the experiments and on himself and ended up in this configuration where he's half Dalek, half person, you know. So yeah. there's a whole there's a whole backstory here. And as I said, when you went back in time and saw him before he became wheelchair bound, no problems. Genuinely, I love mm. the story. But this idea that we're never going to see Davros again, who's been so iconic along the road with Doctor Who ever since the 70s, I don't like it. Sorry. Can, can I buy into this conversation by asking some questions just to start with? Mm-hmm. Has, has Mr. Davies explained in the context of the story how they are, if at all, explaining why Davros is now walking around and not looking prune-faced. Because we've gone back in time before he... No, no, no. Have they explained actually the storyline narrative as to how we get to a walking Davros versus a non-walking Davros? Well, we haven't... We've only seen this five-minute thing. I think... I don't think he's going to use him again. My take was that he wanted Davros to be like this, which is fine. If he wants to do that, In isolation in this special... Yeah. ...this little moment... That's fine because the story was great and it made sense. Sure. We went back in time. But I think he, if he's saying we're closing the chapter on such an iconic character, it's a shame. But he's also made it very clear that if the character was to come back, we won't see him in a wheelchair. And it's just like, well, sure. mm, how does that work? But it also might be might another flashback, dare device. I say. Well, I mean, I also want to acknowledge that, A, it's fiction. Two, it's science fiction. Um, and three, it's all made up. So the ability for a character to be retconned or whatever, it may be legitimately that they do have those experiences that I'm absolutely supposing. If Davros appears again, because the Doctor can travel through time, it might be travelling back to deal with Davros prior to whatever That's got problematic Davros too, into the... because Davros has had sure. such a history with the Doctor that that means the first time he met the Doctor, he would have already known the Doctor. To jump back into reality, however, yeah, but moments in time, right? If if we've gone back to see Davros and now we can we can slide back into that immediate second after he was there, all the things. Um, we saw the controversy that spun around when the Doctor was announced to be a lady. Stupid. For sure. For yeah, there sure was. there is going uh, to but be. But I wasn't on that bandwagon because the show had set it up. Now, I know. When I was a kid. I'm not suggesting you were, right? No, no, no. But I'm saying when I was a kid, the Doctor was a man. That's just how sure. we knew him. Stephen Moffat did the greatest thing for Chris Chibnall by introducing the idea that Time Lords could change sex as part of their regeneration. He did it with the Master, who became Missy. He did it with other Time Lord characters. So when it came time for the Doctor to turn into a female, for me as a viewer, it had been explained. It made perfect Mm. sense. And so it wasn't a problem for me. Now, having said that, I know, Mark, that it was a problem for a lot of fuckwits out there. I completely get that. For sure. And I suspect that we're going to get a a Venn diagram overlap of a whole bunch of new fuckwits and some of the same fuckwits jumping up and down because the Doctor's going to be not white. Oh, yeah, it's already happened. Shitty Gatwa, Gatwa, I think, is going to be brilliant. And I'd love Phenomenal. I expect the same. I think it'd be wonderful. My family are looking forward to seeing the first of the three specials this Sunday on Disney+. Um, I 
am just concerned that the idea that any character in a universe, whether the show's gone for one year or 75,000 years, that any character, particularly in a science fiction show, which deals with time, is untouchable. I, I don't agree with the idea. I think that I appreciate you've got to be careful because you are buying into the broader narrative and the big universe of stuff that we know, ostensibly the Bible. However, when your central character literally changes the actual full human being that they are in the person that performs them and it's just acknowledged that in their regeneration they are entirely a different person and everyone just goes, cool. I don't see why your big bad can't go through some other kind of transformation, whether it is a flashback or in the present, they go through some transformation. Look, Davros is a smart guy. Who's to say that Davros didn't find out a way to fix his legs or fix his face or if, go to a process that's solved? Like, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I get he has that no in the legs. moment for that little thing. Sorry? He has no legs. <laughs> yeah, but we also live in a universe where you can travel through time, Rob. I'm pretty sure they can fix the leg problem. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I just think, you know what? He could have done this without making this woke political statement. I, I just found... I, I, I think it's entirely reasonable explaining why he did it and acknowledging that of the time that Davros was shown to us, it was a huge trope that the bad guy was disabled and grizzled. And I'm going to tell you, it's not even then. If you remember, and it is in the last 20 years, the M. Night Shyamalan, uh, Shyamalan movie Unbreakable had Bruce Willis yeah. and Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson was the bad guy. And he was ostensibly disabled. It's all the time. He had a rib. Right? It still happens the Joker, all the freaking time. Voldemort. All the freaking the witches, time. Whether it's mental Captain health Hook, issues it's always the or same. It's some kind of disability, the bad guy has something wrong with them and the good guy generally is A-OK. Yeah. So it's a trope that it can be seen as lazy in some situations. So I understand his desire to want to try and rectify that. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's open the TV binge box and find out what everyone's been watching uh, Abby, what have you been watching? Um, so Big Brother UK finished this week, which Ooh, Jordan, Jordan, so Jordan, good. I, Jordan. I was going to say no spoilers. I won't say who won, but oh, sure. Am I um, going to have to bleep that? <laughs> <laughs> and coming back in three, two, well, no, that's, that's been very heavily publicised yeah. in the UK press. Um, also, if it's publicised, it's not a spoiler? <laughs> Uh, we can have that discussion later. We can make that next week's talking point, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I loved I it. Have, the... I don't have the time or the capacity to go down that rabbit hole tonight. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I loved it. The top five were who I wanted to be in the top five from very, very early on. Um, so I was really happy. I think also it's it's so obvious, but it made me realise that that's what happens when you have public voting in Big Brother is that the people mm. that you like stay to the you end. You get the right result. Exactly. Yeah, well, you get a result that the biggest bulk of the audience are happy exactly. with. Exactly. So I loved it. Um, excited for Celebrity Big Brother UK as well, which is happening soon, I believe. Um, and So I take it you're not watching Big Brother Australia, Abby? I haven't. Do you know, I was going to give it a go because I thought, why not? But it's too much of a time commitment for something that I'm not that interested in. So I just decided, not. Nah. Sure. Whatever, I'm not worth yeah. it. I'm with you. Um, and the other one I've been watching is just still lost. I've fallen a bit behind. I needed to watch five episodes mm. a week by the time I go to Hawaii. I did not watch five episodes this week, mainly because I was finishing off Big Brother. So now I am back on the lost train on Disney Plus. Great. <laughs> Great. Um, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3 on Disney Plus. I didn't see it at the movies, so I got to see nice. that. Um Got to say, I couldn't do it all in one go. I was getting a little bit bored. I walked away. I came back. I picked it up the day after. It did take me. This a is few... the man with ADHD, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that does play yes, into but, it. But there are movies that can get me to sit down for a couple of hours. Um, sure, I, I enjoyed it, but it didn't have the magic of the first two. I will mm. say, right. Um. Uh. Obviously, I, See, watched... I would have said the third one was better than two, but fair enough. Play yeah, on. Do you know what? I could possibly go with you there, and I'm going to actually go and have another watch with my family. So yep. I liked it enough to do that. Um, sure. And <laughs> my middle child is just dining out on Miranda on Stan at the moment. <laughs> and so that's Good her... choices. That's her big bang theory. You know, she loves just mm. watching it over and over again. And now she's walking around the house saying... Uh, 
Daddy, can you do this for me, please? And thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good day to you. You know, all the Mirandaisms. Could be uh, saying worse things. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, and so been enjoying that. Mog, bring us home. What have you been watching, dear sir? Please and thank you, Rob. Uh, I've been watching heaps of TV, particularly some movies of late, but they're not so much the big things I want to talk about. The two that I'm going to talk about tonight, and I've got a bunch of upmogs to follow, but the two I'm talking about tonight are the first part of the final season of The Crown dropped this week. The first four episodes. Now, it is not a spoiler to talk about the fact it's the royal family and that this episode is all about (laughs) Princess Diana and Dodie and her dying. What? Yes. Right? That is a a factual thing that took place in the real history of the world. Is it good, Um, Mark? Because I've got to say I've had no interest to watch this season. Rob? Uh, after a TV binge box series a couple of years ago where Joe Casamento got made us watch an episode of The Crown, I've been hooked. Oh, Absolutely so I. I started losing it last season, though. Yeah, I'm a season yeah, think- behind as well. But I would Last like to season was a it. bit tough, but I thought came home really strong. I think what I did this like season, is I could tell how much shit. they made up and wasn't true. Because uh, look, I think that they have to read into a whole bunch of this stuff when mm. they're showing private conversations that oh, no, no one no, no. is privy I, I, to. I get that. I get that. That doesn't bother me. But just some events, you were like, "That's not what happened." Even I knew that, and that's probably the early on. The earlier series wasn't so problematic because I wasn't around for that. But I was just going to say, I think because I wasn't around for any of this, I still really enjoy. It. And I don't know what's true and what's not. It could all be completely made up for all I know. But we also know that for all of the seasons earlier, right, particularly with young Princess uh, Elizabeth that became young Queen Elizabeth, there's a whole bunch of shit they had to make up in that for the sure. same reasons, uh, right? Yeah. The, the the really amazing thing in this was I was expecting for this 10-episode final season that we would see Princess Diana pass away later in the season. I'm not going to say which episode it happens in. Holy crap. It was... I think the right level of confronting, a little bit weird. They did throw some poetic and creative license into it with uh, dead people appearing to alive people and having conversations with them. Um, However, really important. I thought narratively it actually really helped bring some humanity to characters that we otherwise wouldn't consider to be as human, if you follow my my Where were you when Princess Di died? Uh, I was living in Kingcumber on the Central Coast, uh, I remember hearing about it and then turning on the TV and not moving from like within sight of it for the next probably 18 hours. It's one of those moments, isn't it? I was in my car visiting my parents in Minto in New South Wales and mm-hmm. I was crossing a bridge, had the radio on and heard it and I went, what? That, that doesn't make sense. And then it sunk in. It is one of those moments you all, you know where you were. Abby, yeah. I think you're too young. Yeah, I don't have, what year did she die? It was 97, Abby, so, so I, I was you're a Jesus, Rob. Uh, yeah, look. Look, Rob allows to be the authority. It was 97. Yeah. <laughs> he knew that off the top of his head as well. I definitely didn't Google yeah. that. There was, there was no edit point. There was no Google. <laughs> sure, nothing happened. Um, I, I've been fully yeah, impressed with Imelda Staunton as the Queen. Um, and mind you, I keep looking at her and listening to her and going, when is she going to Dolores Umbridge this shit? Um, I, I, I've really enjoyed her as Queen Elizabeth. And same with Jonathan Price as uh, Prince Philip. They've been phenomenal in their roles. Elizabeth Debicki as Princess Diana. Oh, she's so really good. Really great. Really great. Affectations and everything. I'm not – some of the lookalikes are not great. Um, I, I, I'm I, going to say I do like that they're trying to somewhat kind of – well, they're not trying, but to me it looks like they're trying to resurrect, you know, sort of now King Charles's early life, but – Go and do it, friends. I recommend, even if you haven't been watching The Crown, this season does stand alone in and of itself, but you get payoff from previous seasons. It's delightful. It's scary. I cried a little bit. The Crown, part A, season six is now four episodes on Netflix with the final six episodes coming in December. And you can even buy the props. Uh, They're selling 450 props and set pieces. uh, To raise money for for charity. That's cool. You can get mm. the carriage. You can get a copy, um, the, the the copy of the Queen's coronation dress. Do wow. yourself a favour. I think you can buy a coffin. Um, the I don't know that for sure. <laughs> I'm just making that up. The so the crown on Netflix. Definitely check it out. Season six, part A. The other series I want to talk about is about to land on Disney Plus next week. Uh, but I've been fortunate enough to get previews for it. The Artful Dodger. Now, this is a Disney Plus series made in Australia using a largely Australian cast. Um, The premise is 
post-Oliver Twist. So Oliver, the, the movie that we know that had Fagin in it and the Artful Dodger, um, those characters, of course, continued on in, in that realm. And as it turns out, Dodger's grown up, became uh, a surgeon and has settled in the colonies of Australia. So here's Dodger being a, a, a surgeon. He's got his own issues. And out of nowhere, Fagin appears, played by David Thewlis. And he is so great. So great. There's some really funny moments. There's some really sharp drama. There's great performances. They've thrown some pretty good money at the sets. Tim Minchin is really good, though his accent is like he's talking through a mouthful of marbles. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, Jessica DeGau, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Miranda Tapsell. Um, I love her. There's, there's some really great Aussies in it, and as well as some good overseas peeps. I just, I cannot recommend it. I was skeptical going into it, and I loved every minute. I had to be next, next, next on those episodes. So all, uh, I think it's going to be 10, isn't it? Uh, no, all eight episodes drop next week, Thursday next week on, um, no, Wednesday next week on Disney Plus. The Artful Dodger, please. Go and check it out, friends. It's really, really great. Quick up, Mulks, to welcome to Wrexham Season 2 on Disney+. Plus. Great finish. Um, a big up, Mulks, to Taskmaster UK Season 16, starring yes. Sam Campbell and others. It's been a brilliant season. Final Absolutely. episode this week. That's on Binge in Australia. With one of the worst uh, Studio 10 guests ever. <laughs> Who was that? Julian Clary. Well, I can understand, but he's been delightful on Taskmaster. No, he's, uh, we love him. He's fantastic. It was a whole thing. He was put in the wrong situation. We'll talk about no, this another that. time. It's a great story. I'm sure we can. Um, uh, and continuing up, Mulks, for the Real Housewives of Sydney, question everything has really hit its straps this season. And Australian Epic, I have been surprised how much I've been enjoying that. Uh, on Both of those last two are on the ABC. And, of course, uh, the Real Housewives are over on your binges. And... Congratulations to John Oliver for getting the Puteki, uh, well, the Puteki Teki up in the bird of the century. Yes, fantastic Not by stuff. a little bit, friends, by a fucking long way. And and uh, they ended up with a lot of donations, which is the yes, best kind so of result. Good. So good. All right, that brings us to the end of TV Black Box for another week. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Mark. And Robbo, get fucked because you didn't show up. No, he's oh, actually oh, sick. I'm joking. I'm wow. joking. <laughs> my little joke to see if he actually listens and I'm sure he won't so you know <laughs> that'll be that he's not on it he right. won't listen I'm Rob McKnight we'll see you next week goodbye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.